Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Jason Scott Jones, who is president and founder of Hero, H-E-R-O, and Movie to Movement. Jason, welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. That's great to be on the show in beautiful Orange County. <laughs> and I understand that you are... all on lockdown. Yes, we are all on lockdown. You're <laughs> locked down somewhere in Texas, I understand. We are not locked down, brother. We're free. Oh. No, we're praying for you. <laughs> Please do. I do appreciate that. All our listening audience is going to appreciate that. You can pray for us, too. And, in fact, while we're talking about that, if you wouldn't mind, would you please lead us in a brief word of prayer? Sure. Uh, Father God, uh, we know that you're here with us in our homes, uh, in the studio, and we thank you for the grace that you've given us to know you. We thank you uh, for the privilege and the grace that you've given us to be citizens in this beautiful country, this great republic of the United States. We ask that you always keep us mindful of how privileged we are and the blessings of liberty. We pray that uh, in the coming weeks that the results leave a republic as free as the one that we received, and that our, our posterity will be as blessed with the freedom of religion and even live in a, a more fuller culture of life. We pray all of this in the name of our King, our Brother, and our God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Jason, my understanding, if I read through your, your bio here, you've done a lot. You, you are involved with this movie-to-movement group. You helped found the Human Rights Education Organization. Your movie-to-movement has had several uh, videos, starting with Bella and moving through. You've won several awards, and now you've got a movie coming out called Divided Hearts of America. Jason, so what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> what? You know, I, I'm very lazy, and I have a lot of hobbies, you know. I don't know. <laughs> and I do not work with order and efficiency, but I pray for the grace to work more orderly and more efficient. Right? Your desk uh, looks like mine, I'll bet. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. So what, t- tell me a little bit. You are the president and founder of Hero Movie to Movement. What are those organizations? What do they do? Yeah, Movie to Movement is actually a program of Hero, the Human Rights Education and Relief Organization. I found it really right out of graduate school. And uh, we do one thing two ways at Hero. Our mission is to defend the vulnerable from violence, and we do it by promoting the truth about the human person, the truth about our beauty, our dignity, and our worth. And we hope to inspire solidarity with the vulnerable, from the child in the womb to the Uyghur in concentration camps and Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. So it's a very unique organization. I conceived of it actually in college as an undergraduate when, uh, as an atheist at the time, I'm now Catholic, I was very committed to protecting children from the violence of abortion, but I was also involved in the anti-war movement. I'm a veteran of the infantry, and I'm very much pro-military, but at the time we were seeing a lot of senseless uh, regime change wars that were not in our interest nor in the interest of the people we were, we were feigning to help. And I wanted to create an organization that, that linked together in a consistent way, protecting the vulnerable from direct intentional attacks from violence. 
I saw that there was a sort of seamless garment at the time, the seamless garment network sort of evaporated. But at the time, you know, they would take every prudential issue under the sun and they would submerge the child in the womb in this ocean of prudential issues from what minimum wage should be to health care, you know, all of these different things. And I found that really offensive that you would compare abortion or genocide, democide or unjust wars as an equal issue to be weighted on what the best minimum wage should be. And so I wanted an organization that was consistent, was authentically committed to protecting the vulnerable compared to this, what I call the seamless garment, which is really a tactic to defend pro-abortion candidates to allow them to kind of get the Christian vote. And this is, this was as a young atheist. Well, that's that's Um, my next question. Before you go too much further, I I want to sidetrack you for just a moment. An atheist who's pro-life. How did that happen? And why did that happen? I'm not used to many of them. No, I used to get so offended at that question when I was an atheist. People would go, you're an atheist. Christians would even ask me. Yeah. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm not even pro-life. Why are you pro-life? And I'm like, well, would it surprise you that I'm against stealing candy bars and shooting people in alleys? To me, there's two crimes that you need no access to revealed religion to understand are abominable. I would say one is cannibalism, and the other is the intentional direct killing of our own children while still in the womb of the mother. This is how I thought as an atheist, hmm. and I was just always so offended when people thought we needed. By the way, as Catholics, our social teaching is informed by natural law. Yeah, yeah. you know the, the, the church is teaching on private. Pro- we have the foundation of private property to adjust and free society, which the church has always advocated. is grounded in natural law. The church is teaching for the Second Amendment. And it, you know, or the, we have the right to protect ourselves. That's in natural law. It's in the long tradition of the Church. But what has happened is ideology of Bishop Strickland recently um, tweeted this week that we are confusing the Church with political ideology and our own whims today. We're constructing a Church of our own ideology. And, you know, you don't need access to revealed religion to know you don't murder somebody you don't need access to revealed religion to know that you don't deny the child in the womb from violence. You don't need revealed religion to know you don't raid a neighboring village and enslave the men and women of that village. But in fact, you know, it has been Christians. The gospel illuminates our duty to live a life of solidarity for the other, to take risk for the other. And that's why the abolitionist movement, uh, the only place in the world we have seen aboli- abolitionist movements is in Christian societies. And that is why that today, of course, we confuse being pro-life with being Christian, because Christians have had the courage to stand up to the culture of death. But I think it gets to what Bishop Strickland's tweet was, that the spirit of the age is very powerful, and uh, Christians, like everyone else, conform to the spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll, you know, you'll hear laity, you'll even hear priests or bishops. They will often sound like literally just an echo an exact echo of the spirit of the age. But you know that we are called to be a sign of contradiction, a sign of contradiction in an age where slavery is deemed acceptable. To us, it's obviously bizarre and unthinkable, but there was a time where it was normal. Uh, abortion is bizarre and unthinkable, but to our friends and neighbors, people we love, members of our own family, it's perfectly acceptable. Well, that's because the spirit of the age says it is so. What's great about the Gospel is it gives us the Catholic anthropologist René Girard that the only thing more powerful than the spirit of the age is the Holy Spirit. But we don't 
need revealed religion to know. In fact, to me, it's a selfish act. I'm going to protect my child from violence, my child in the womb. I don't need revealed religion to know that. It's very interesting because, as you know, there are so many atheists who, when they determine for themselves that the ultimate act of fertilization really is just a a chemical reaction and there is no soul, so there is nothing lost when you take something that can't yet feel pain and destroy it. You came to a different conclusion on that, which is why I I asked that. So many atheists have gone the other way. Why do you think you took a different perspective? You know, when I was an atheist, I was shocked at how many atheists were pro-life. They just didn't feel at home in the pro-life movement. But something really amazing Hmm. has happened. We have social media since about 2007. The the pro-life movement is now the largest social movement in the history of the world. Unbelievable. But it really is. And not only that, it's the most diverse. It is the most diverse. And I have so many friends that are leaders in the pro-life movement who are atheists. And it's just, sometimes we as Christians and we as Catholics play into the narrative. And, And some Catholics would like to think, it's nice to think we're the only ones out here fighting for God and Our Lady, for the child in the womb. But I meet so many atheists, and of course evangelicals, Muslims, Jews, and others. It's written on our heart. So you know where you don't need revealed religion to know you don't kill your own child. But what you do need is massive amounts of propaganda to think it is perfectly acceptable to kill the child in the womb. And that propaganda doesn't stop at our church doors. I mean, there is a massive movement going on right now as we're bearing down on an election to muddle and confuse voters, Catholic voters, on what the Church teaches and how we should vote in respect to life. And a new poll just came out last week that uh, a majority of Catholics think abortion should be legal. And I I wouldn't doubt that polls on abortion and faith, especially Catholics, were probably not much different than the rest of general society. And that's because we're not going to confession, we're not praying the rosary daily. How many people you know, I'm sure in your own family, they conform. They conform. And it's not just on abortion. It was on segregation, and it was on slavery. You know, why do we know the name Maximilian Colby? We shouldn't know St. Maximilian Colby's name. So many priests should have died in concentration camps. So many priests should have died, and Catholic laymen should have died resisting the Nazis. Why do we know the name Jersey Popescu? So many priests should have been fighting against the communists in Russia. Why do we know these names? Um, Because the truth is most people kind of just bow to the age. They may not support it, but they bow, they step out of its way, they step out of history's way and try to avoid it. And we're seeing the same thing today with abortion. And so, you know, what I've always been committed to is defend the vulnerable when they are vulnerable. And compared to what we see today so often, is a victimism where Facebook, Twitter, Google, Netflix, all the networks, they'll fight some injustice from yesterday and will all rise up and yell at some injustice from yesterday. But you know, when Bishop Rummel in Louisiana was fighting racism and segregation, there weren't a lot of people standing with him. He was considered a troublemaker. You know, I don't know if you know the story of Bishop Rummel. And he was key to desegregation in the United States as courageous bishop in New Orleans. And so many members of the church, when he excommunicated pro-segregationist Catholics, they named streets after uh, the Catholics in those parishes in Louisiana named streets after the politicians the bishop excommunicated for being pro-segregationist. Wow. Could you imagine such a thing? I well, can't. You know, if- we are coming to the end of this first segment. 
And I hate to interrupt you because you're on a roll, Jason, I can tell. And you're doing God's work in trying to get this out there. I want to take us into the next segment asking you what got you involved in this. Because very clearly, you are, from the days before you were even Christian, you were very clearly uh, in empathy with the human species and wanted to protect everyone, including the most vulnerable, starting with the most vulnerable. I want to find out what motivated you to actually get started. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Jason Scott Jones, president and founder of Hero and Movie to Movement. And when we come back, we're going to ask Jason to talk to us a little bit about what got him going. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Jason Jones, president and founder of HERO, H-E-R-O, and Movie to Movement. HERO stands for Human Rights Education Organization. And Movie to Movement has put out or helped put out several projects, movie projects, that have brought attention to the pro-life cause and other causes over time. The current movie that is out here in 2020 is Divided Hearts of America, and it is addressing the abortion issue head on. But, Jason, as we were talking in the last segment, you've been involved with the pro-life movement long before you were even Christian. What got you so motivated? You know, I was, um, I've was i been involved in the pro-life movement since I was 17. I'm going to quote an unlikely person, probably the first time he's ever been quoted on this network. But when I first heard this quote as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old boy in the Army, I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. You know, Malcolm X said that, you know, I didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on me. And that was talking about how he got involved in the struggle for civil rights because his father was cut in half by the Ku Klux Klan across the trolley track. And that's sort of how I got involved in the pro-life movement. It wasn't my father that was cut in half uh, being laid across the trolley track. But as a 16-year-old boy, a couple days before turning, I was turning 17, my high school girlfriend rode her bicycle to my house walked up the stairs to my room and woke me up with the words, I'm pregnant. And the two of us spent today trying to figure out what we were going to do, and we decided, you know what we would do? I would join the Army, she would hide that she was pregnant, and then we would have a family. And the day I turned 17, I went down to the recruiter's office, and there was a special program for troubled youth, which I was quite easy, it was easy for me to document. I was last <laughs> in my class out of 565 kids and had a lot of other things to my credit. Or <laughs> your, your resume. <laughs> my resume that I was able to present. And I was off to the next basic training class. While I was in basic training, uh, a few weeks before I was to come home, on a Sunday morning, when my high school girlfriend was in her third trimester, I get a phone call, and she was crying like I have never heard anyone cry in my life. And all, all I can say is her soul was crying. And what had happened is her father beat her up, oh, and he wow. took her to Chicago Masonic Hospital, where mm-hmm. she had a forced third trimester abortion. And uh, oh. that woke, that it was that, I did not know that. Jason, I'm so sorry for you. I mean, even to this day, my God. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, it's, uh, I know, I think people find it unusual, and maybe it is a bit unusual that as a young man, it changed the course of my life. Maybe, I don't know why I responded that way. I, you know, and other young men, just this happens to so many young men, deal with the, the, the trauma in, in other ways. I think a lot of it had to do with how my girlfriend told me, and she was just wailing 
and, I, and I've never, I've only heard this once before when a dear friend of mine who lives in Orange County uh, called me after the day her brother committed suicide. And, and when I heard her call me, it chilled me to the bone because she was crying just like I remember my high school girlfriend crying. It was the only two times I've ever heard this sound come from a human being. I think if my high school girlfriend would have called me and said, hey, my body, my choice, we're too young, I went to get an abortion, I might be a pro-choice advocate today, you know? So it's not that my girlfriend told me she was pregnant. It's how she told me. Her soul really communicated through the wailing the truth about abortion because our stories and our experiences can deceive us. And But this story communicated the truth about what happened to me. Well, and it happened and to you. And I, you, you this, this is something that I, I don't want to gloss over just yet. Yeah. Women are not the only people who suffer the loss of a child in abortion. And your yeah. grief is a, a graphic reminder to everyone who's listening of the yeah. trauma that men go through when their child has been taken from them. Yeah, no, but definitely. And look, men are traumatized. Women are traumatized. It's, it's, the impact of women is, is graver. We have to remember that, for example, my high school girlfriend knows what it was like to be dragged to this place. Yeah. Knows, remember, you know, the, the smells, the senses, yeah. the feeling. Not to denigrate it at all. But you also are grieving. That was gone. Yeah, you know, and for me, what was, what's strange is my father uh, joined the Army when I was very young. My mother had me at 16. And then my father had left for the military. And I didn't see him really until I was seven or eight and get to know my dad. And, oh. and my mother, obviously, having me as a young teenager, it was a bit of a chaotic childhood. But I had always daydreamed about it, being a father and having a wife and having a beautiful, peaceful home filled with joy. And, and I had daydreamed about this since I was, I mean, my earliest memories are me daydreaming about being a father as a four-year-old, you know, <laughs> yeah. and creating a peaceful, loving home. And so my whole life had been spent on, like, being a certain type of man that would be strong and, and protective. And so here, this failure to protect my child to birth, something I had been thinking about every day, since I was like a yeah. four-year-old, about the kind of man I'm going to be when I grow up. You, you, and you here, say that so well, though. I mean, you point out a very important point. For a lot of men, this goes to the heart of being a man. Our job is to yeah. empower and to protect. And here you were trying to do what you could to empower and protect your pregnant girlfriend. And you, as you put it, you failed to do that. You could have everyone say over and over again, you didn't fail, you did But in your heart, that's how it feels. And people yeah, forget I that. I did, yeah. Which, again, you know, doesn't take that. away from the women's experience. I, I get that. You are absolutely right to make that point. It is graver, mm -hmm. but it is not lost. The loss is not lost on the men. Wow. And Vicki Thorne, the founder of Project Rachel, said something to me that really, when she told me, I broke down in tears. So... Uh, she said, when men experience abortion, they explode. When women go through an abortion, they implode. Okay. So it becomes anorexia, self-hatred, self-abuse, drug abuse, uh, behavior designed to hurt themselves, uh, whether it's through, with men or with drugs or whatever. And that really broke my heart because I know what it is to explode. My first year in the Army, I had three Article 15s for fighting. <laughs> I began knocking on doors on my off days. Every day. I mean, I, it's not an exaggeration to say that for the past 30 years, I have been relentlessly working to end abortion day in and day out. It's, it's no exaggeration. 
anyone who knows me or just Googles me can see a pretty an unbroken commitment since I was a 17-year-old boy, even as a soldier. Uh, but on top of that, especially the first 13 years as an atheist, I was at war with the world. I mean, I'm fighting every day, going out, getting in fights, sports. My, my hobbies to this day are Muay Thai and boxing and MMA, and I fought in Japan as a guy in my 20s competitively in those wow. sports. And um, and I was just sort of a rage. And and I didn't want to become a Christian, by the way, because I didn't want it to go away. I, I kind of felt oh, wow. like this is my, my motor. And when I kind of realized that this vision of the human person I have as an atheist isn't supported by Darwin or Freud or Nietzsche. It's actually not. It was actually Freud and Darwin and Nietzsche and Sartre that kind of drove me to realize the only explanation for what I see as self-evident, the self-evident dignity of the human person, is through uh, the Jewish and Christian scriptures. I didn't want to become Christian. Because I remember thinking, (laughs) I don't want to stop my work, and I'm driven by hostility, (laughs) rage, anger. So what brought you to Christianity then? Uh, by the grace of God, I I was writing a book at the time called Generation X Manifesto that became the race to save our century. Um, this was in the mid-90s, and I wanted to publish this book after I finished graduate school. Uh, it was sort of an atheist libertarian manifesto. I was working on it, and I saw a book at a yard sale called A Christian Manifesto by uh, Francis Schaeffer, yeah. the, the um, Protestant theologian and a very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I bought it just because I liked the title. I thought it might help me structure my book. So I read the book. The book really spoke to me. And then I started in Genesis and more or less, I mean, I, I skipped through some pages in the Old Testament that <laughs> I got bogged down on. But more or less, I remember when I read Isaiah 53 and my boss at the yeah. time was Jewish. Uh, I read Isaiah 53 and I read it to him and I said, who's this about? He goes, Jesus Christ. I'm like, I got you. This is the Old Testament. I hadn't even gotten to the New Testament yet, but I knew enough to know this sounds like a dude being crucified. And I I said, this is interesting to me. Why is this in the Old Testament? And and then when I read the New Testament, it was not at all what I expected, because all the Christianity I had presented at the Newman Center on my campus was very morally relativistic. And then the evangelical ministries on campus, I used to call them, I'll be your friend if you'll be my friend at the club. I would go there to try to recruit for my pro-life club. You know, they would say, Jesus loves you. And I would always say, I know, I'm very lovable. Why does he like you, though? That was my yeah. canned response. They'll ask you um, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but what they're really saying is, I want to have a personal relationship with you. Join my club. Yes, and I felt sorry for them. I'm like, God, I feel so sorry for you. They didn't speak their mind. They weren't clear. They wouldn't come to pro-life events. And when I read the gospel, when I read the New Testament, I remember thinking, and I had read the Quran first, and I remember being really off-put by the Quran. I was more open to the Islam at the time than Christianity. That's how anti-Christian I was. Wow. And I would say I was a bigot. I was, and especially I was an anti-Catholic bigot. Uh, it was really a lot of it was grounded on personal experience with Catholics was fertilizer, gasoline on a prejudice I already had. Because we live in an anti-Catholic society, we have to admit it. If you're just born in America and walk around for 18 years, you're going to be anti-Catholic, period. <laughs> and so I was anti-Catholic, for sure. But when I read the New Testament, I remember just, it was like a key that fit a lock, and wow. it opened the door. And I just thought, why don't people share Jesus as Jesus is in the, the Bible, in the New Testament? And and then I was going to an evangelical church, and I loved these. I picked them because they were the most pro-life church. But I don't know how I knew 
But I did, I think it was a Baptist friend that said there can only be one denomination. It's true, and it's ours. I think that's where I got this idea. But I, in my mind, I knew there had to be, someone had to be right. There can't be 33,000 denominations, and they're all equally right. They're either all wrong, or one's right, and the rest are wrong. Before we go too far, you've got about 30 seconds yeah. left in this session. Well, then it got, I read, I tripped across Chesterton, Bellick, and the Church Fathers, and wow. Fulton Sheen. And, you know. <laughs> all great inspirations. And that's going to take you how? here. I don't even know how. Well, I have an idea that somewhere behind, as you put it, it's Christ who draws us here, but it is yeah. uh, by putting people in our way. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more, not only about what got you into this, which we were just in the process of covering, but what the mission is for this movie to movement and what Divided Hearts is all about. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Jason Jones, who is president and founder of Hero and Movie to Movement. And we're going to talk about the new film, Divided Hearts, when we come back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the campus of Christ Cathedral in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. With me today is Jason Jones. And Jason has been involved with the pro-life movement since he was at least 17, and we've been talking about how that came about. Jason, when we left you at the end of the segment, you had just become Christian, and you had some great luminaries that you mentioned Belloc and and uh, several other people who have contributed to your movement into the Christian faith away from atheism and away from some of the competitors that really had no competition. You've become Christian. Now what happened, and how did you get into this movie-to-movement? Yeah, I was going to this beautiful church. It's called Calvary Chapel, Honolulu, and they were beautiful people. They were very active in the pro-life movement. And so it just seemed as after I started reading the Bible— a natural place to go. I was still, you know, wrestling with my habits of being a young man who was an atheist and um, and all that. But I was also still wanting to know more about Jesus Christ and more about historical Christianity. And for me, I um, I don't really remember how I discovered G.K. Chesterton, but it, I, I discovered Chesterton, and then from Chesterton, Bellick, and who I really loved. I always say Bellick is like G.K. Chesterton with a toothache. <laughs> I kind of like him. That that is a great description, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that is absolutely that's good. <laughs> and I discovered those two gentlemen, and then and then Bishop Fulton Sheen, and I could not get enough of Bishop Fulton Sheen and and the Church Fathers. But I was still addled with prejudice, so I really studied the Inquisition, the Crusades, the, the schism. I was leaning east. I wanted to become Greek Orthodox. And that's what happens with a lot of evangelicals and atheists. Sure. Because we live in an anti-Catholic society, you know, when you're looking for the Church, looking East is a natural place to go, because our society doesn't sort of foment prejudice against the Greek Orthodox. But I studied the schism for like a year, trying to determine which way to go. And I realized that the Church is the Church. In 1688, even half the Orthodox Church returned. So... Yeah, I mean, like Chesterton says, the Catholic Church is the only thing that is bigger on the inside than from the outside. And I am so grateful to be Catholic. It's a privilege to be Catholic. And this is the Catholic moment. This is 
when I was an atheist, I was dating a young Catholic woman, and I would go to adoration with her, and I would pray, Jesus, if you're real, I only want to be with you when you're at the cross. That was, like, always my, my prayer. Uh, I just want to be with this. If God, if you're real, I just want to be with the, the vulnerable. I want to be immolated with the suffering. I, I would put me with them. And that's what this age is. The Catholic moment isn't 20 years ago when the, the height of the new evangelization and all these movements in the church were booming and we hadn't been rocked by successive scandals and we're having huge gatherings and we were buying, spending 50 bucks on cassette recordings and, you know, CDs of these great talks by these great, no, 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 no. The Catholic moment is when you, you, you don't have access to the sacraments. The Catholic moment is like in Hawaii, elderly Catholics were hospitalized and dying and couldn't get last rites. The Catholic moment is right now. Uh, it could be the greatest year of famine since World War II because of the COVID shutdown have decreased food production. So from Bangladesh to South Africa, hunger and starvation are running amok. The Christians in Armenia are suffering another genocide at the hands of Turkey. Uh, China is preparing to invade Taiwan. You know, this is the Catholic moment when the world is suffering. That's now we are to be at the foot of the cross serving the suffering. And I thank God for the grace to be a part of this church. And it is really a privilege. And I think so many Catholics, because we have been taught a lie, we as Catholics in the American church for too long, I call it the preferential option for myself. We think that the, the Catholic social teaching is about how to make arguments to get our biggest slop share of government benefits. That is not what Catholic social teaching is about. Catholic social teaching is about our duty to serve others, our duty to risk and sacrifice and suffer for others. No matter where we are, there's someone who needs our help. And Nick Wojcik, an evangelical brother of mine, he has, you probably know who he is. He has no arms, no legs. Yeah. He was born that way. He's the most sought-after public speaker in the world. And he said at one time he was praying to God, God, I've been asking you for a hand up, and you're never giving me a hand up, Lord. Where are you? And he said he heard God's voice so clear. He said, if I'm not reaching my hand out to help you up, that's because I want you to look below you and see someone else needs you to give you your hand to help him up. And then he's like, I said to God, but I don't have hands, you know. <laughs> And God yes, you can give them a hand up. And that launched Nick Wojcik's ministry, which gives hope to so many people. Yes. A guy that was born with no arms and no legs. So wherever we are, there are people who need us to give them hope. And as American Christians, we are the freest, most privileged, wealthiest Christians who have ever walked the face of the earth. We need to be mindful of that every day. And so I can't tell you that just to be on your network as a Catholic... <laughs> Uh, is a great grace. Jason, you are one of the, the best motivational speakers for Catholic faith that I have heard in a long time. I still don't know how you got to Divided Hearts and the movie, the movement, movement. You became a Christian. What got you there? Movies, though. I'm, I'm the first guy. Yeah, I forgot. I'm here to promote my movie. So, you know, it's 17, I, I started knocking on doors and telling people abortion was legal because I didn't think they knew. Then I realized they knew. And then I got out of the Army and went to college, started founding, founding pro-life clubs, running for leadership positions of organizations, got a radio show uh, at the time, too. And I just wanted to reach more and more and more people with the message of the beauty of the child in the world, and the beauty of the human person. And then, you know, I made a documentary uh, 20 years ago called Gates of Hell. It won some awards on youth culture in America at the time. But my first narrative feature I was an executive producer on was called Bella, and it went on to win 
the Toronto International Film Festival, and it was a very successful film. And when I saw the impact that this beautiful little narrative feature film had, thousands of women wrote us letters telling us they chose life because they saw our film. Rosie O'Donnell went on The View and said it was her favorite movie. We created a whole new program at Hero, uh, and it was so we created a movie-to-movement program simply to make movies that told the truth about the human person and inspired solidarity with the vulnerable. Now, why did we make this movie? Two years ago when Governor Cuomo and the governors across the country were signing bills legalizing abortion up to birth and after birth, and Cuomo lit Freedom Tower pink in celebration of legal infanticide, we realized that America was on the verge of collapse, that this republic might fall. And in fact, the original documentary's name was Before the Fall, because there have been three great denials of our founding principle, which is Christian anthropology, taught to the West by the Catholic Church, that our founding fathers said was self-evident, the inalienable dignity of man, which is the Declaration Principle. That's a teaching that the West learned through the Catholic Church. Then these grandchildren of the Puritans that founded this country saw it as self-evident, but it's actually the fruit of revealed religion, the fruit of the Catholic Church's teachings. And we knew that once you deny that founding principle, sooner or later our republic will collapse. Slavery was a brutal denial of it, and it ripped our country apart into a civil war. Segregation was a brutal denial of it and almost ripped our country apart until the Civil Rights Act of 1965. And then now Roe v. Wade, over 40 years of brutally denying a founding principle. So we wanted to reveal, we knew America would be divided in October and November of 2020. We wanted to release a film we were hoping in theaters across the country, we could never anticipated, that would give Americans a secret that will unite us. That's our theme. We came up with that theme, you know, two years ago. Uh, the secret that will unite us, and the secret that will unite us can be learned from abortion. I learned the truth about the human person through the violence of abortion. That ambush, that that mugging woke me up, and I had to come to terms with what is the truth about the human person. Well, we looked at abortion. Benjamin Watson, NFL star, kind, gentle, strong, one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met, goes on this exploration interviewing Ben Carson, Senator Scott, Democrat senators who wrote the abortion legislation, abortionists, people on both sides of the issue, and he kind of does it bracketing in, trying to understand what is the abortion issue really, and where where did the abortion culture come from? And we, we delve into Margaret Sanger, the, the radical eugenics movement of the early 20th century, that really structural racism today does exist, and it exists as Planned Parenthood across the country. But more than that, you want to go to movietomovement.com and click on the link and go to Salem now and get Divided Hearts of America because you can share with your family and friends. It reveals the secret that will unite us. There's only one thing that will unite us as a people. We don't share a similar religion. We don't share similar ethnic backgrounds. We don't come from the same countries. We don't have a shared history. We're a country of immigrants over 200 years, 300 years. What we do share, I hope, is a belief in the Declaration Principle. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal, and they are endowed by God, our Creator, with inalienable rights and inviolable dignity. And that's what this film seeks to reveal. We come from the same parents and are called to the same destiny. We're saved by the same Savior. This is what we want the world to know. This is attractive to people. The most attractive thing we have 
is we know the secret about who our family and our friends and our neighbors are. You know, when we walk down the street as Catholics, we should be almost mesmerized when we see all these people walking around us. C.S. Lewis said that God has to put a veil before our eyes in a way when we look at other human beings. Because if we saw each other as we really are, we would fall at our knees and stare at everyone we met. Can you imagine? Everyone we meet is more beautiful than an angel. Because everyone you meet is made in the image of God. What a mystery. What is that? What does that mean? I don't know. You should know. You're a Catholic radio show host. All I know is it's a beautiful mystery. And all I know is that beautiful mystery tells me that they have a dignity unlike anything in creation. And I should treat them as such. And this is, and that's what we hope the movie reveals. And this is why you can't have a seamless garment. There are certain things that just are far more important than anything else. And the image of God in one human being is far more important than all the social programs combined. Wow. Jason Jones is the president and founder of Hero and Movie to Movement. We've been talking with him about what got him involved with his ministry. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the movies that he's put together and this movie and why this is so important for you to see over the next couple of days. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today has been Jason Jones. And before we go any further, Jason, who has, is the president and founder of Hero and Movie to Movement, uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for taking some time off in this very busy time to spend some time talking to the audience in Southern California about not only your movement and movie, but also about you and the vulnerable and clearly, your clear witness of Jesus Christ and uh, the pro-life movement in your life. Thank you, Jason, for coming on and being so candid. Oh, it's a privilege to be on your show and, and uh, an honor to talk to all the good folks of Orange County. And I want to thank you for all the works you've done. I just want to go over real quick. I'm looking at your, your um, movies that you've put out so far. Uh, in 2007, you started in this particular group, and you said you've done some things before, but... You started with Bella, uh, and then in 2009, the stoning of Soraya M., which won the NAACP Image Award. That's very interesting. For Best Foreign Film, starring Jim Cavizio, who was from The Passion of Christ. Crescendo was from 2012, and that was done with Patty Millette, who is Justin Bieber's mother. And that won 30 film festival awards and raised over $5 million for pro-life pregnancy centers. In 2013, Mother Miriam, The Portrait of a Saint. In 2015, Voiceless. Uh, in 2016, uh, Sing a Little Louder. And now in 2020, Divided Hearts. You were starting to talk a little bit about that, and we were you were telling us that it's primarily interviews with people that are on both sides of the spectrum, but with this theme of how abortion has affected them. Tell me, what is so compelling about this movie that people really need to go see this over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, this this movie is, is something you really do need to see. When we knew two years ago, our team, that we wanted to do a documentary 
before the fall leading up to the election that would be unitive to our nation, that wouldn't throw gasoline on a fire but throw water on the fire. We knew our nation would be raging. We never imagined how so, though, right? We never imagined uh, the situation we have today. And we, we knew there was only one person we could get to do this film, Benjamin Watson, author, uh, humanitarian, devout Christian, father of seven, NFL Super Bowl champion. But, you know, we, I didn't think he'd say yes. We, we asked him. It was making a movie is a very scary thing. Making a movie isn't like, hey, you want to go for a walk? It's like, hey, can I have five years of your life? Two, you know, this is the fastest movie we've ever made it with a two-year turnaround. But it's two years of intensity. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very scary thing to do. I always get butterflies and almost ill at the thought of the task ahead whenever I start a new movie project. But I, I, we asked Benjamin sort of like casually. I knew he would say no. Why wouldn't an NFL champion who has all the networks wanting to hire him as a broadcaster when he retires do something so daring? So we asked him, knew he'd say no, and he said yes. So here we go. Now we've got to do it. And um, <laughs> you cut the tiger by the tail. Okay, now you got to run with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're like the dog chasing the car. Right? Yeah, you like, caught it. So we had we had to make the movie, and uh, we're so glad we did. But we, the reason we knew Benjamin had to be the guy that traveled the country trying to get at the heart of this abortion issue and its connection to slavery and segregation is his sort of kind. He's a very honest man, very winsome, and he's got a way of disarming people because he is. He is so honest, and he has no guile. And he, if you follow him on Twitter, I, I said to him on my podcast, I said, Benjamin, you're the only person I know that has Twitter conversations, about, and, and they're about race, and they're about abortion. And, you know, you've got 100,000 people that are co- having a conversation. The way he does it is really unbelievable. And so we wanted him to be the, the guy that did the, the hard work to travel the country to do these interviews because we knew we could get the other side to listen. And that's what my hope is, that there was a time where segregation was not only thinkable, being opposed to segregation was seen as radical. So it's the same thing with abolition. And, well, we need to come to a place in this country where we're all, where we help everyone see and understand really how shockingly cruel, violent, bizarre, and unthinkable the abortion culture is really doesn't even make sense. You know, for me, because I guess I was such a bad student and only thought about football <laughs> as a kid, I avoided being indoctrinated. And I, I want the whole world, and that's the goal of this film, really. I want the whole world to see abortion the way I see it. It's an unthinkable, unspeakable, unimaginable evil. So how does the it, film it, take you to that point? Well, we interview abortionists, former abortionists, we interview embryologists. We interview people on all the sides. And Benjamin gets them to speak very clearly. And when the other side speaks, uh. it's jarring. So, for example, he interviews the people that uh, Senator Liz Kruger from New York, who introduced a bill allowing abortion for birth. And she says, in a way that chills you to the bone, she says to Benjamin, well, in this country, we don't grant rights to the fetus. And so they don't have rights. And it's something as if you could have heard coming from the Nazis regarding Jews. She says it's so matter-of-factly, we grant rights. You know, she really believes that as a legislator... Human beings, she That she is the one that determines who gets to live and who dies. And she says it 
in a very prideful and smarmy way. Yeah. And it's shocking. We interview a former abortionist whose parents were survivors of Auschwitz, and she now is pro-life. And she says that she, she was watching a documentary on Ted Bundy, and she realized at the time of hearing it when she was an abortionist that she had killed more people at that point than Ted Bundy by far. And actually the, the numbers of children she had killed were like those of the worst sort of Nazi war criminals. And it jarred her. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of interviews like that. People don't realize that in the original Nuremberg crimes, one of the crimes that was charged and found guilty amongst some of the major doctors was abortion. Yeah. I mean, abortion is really... I've never met a child that's pro-abortion of you. <laughs> no, no, and, and you're not going to, because children understand you don't kill things for fun. And in fact, the ones that do, we normally identify very quickly as having real problems. Children know That's right. empathetically that when someone is hurt or down, uh, they need help. And so they help people. They don't hurt them. Besides, the reasons for abortion ha in our country usually have a lot more to do with a sense of, of no hope and self, almost a despair. And... It, it's a call for all of us to not only move to a, an awakening of who's inside the body, but also how do we minister to those people who are in such need and such despair that they can only see killing the baby inside them is the only way out. Yeah, that's how John's Marriott and I wrote an article several years ago where we outlined how why women who have abortions, this, this red herring that they'll sell, should women go to prison and have abortions? Well, no, and not no more than a cancer patient who seeks assisted suicide should go to prison with attempt suicide. But any doctor that assists them, of course, should go to prison. And, and the reason why is we recognize it is a type of suicide. It is an act done from utter desperation yes. and fear. And so, of course, we need to be there to love them, to, to protect them. But, yeah, all children know, what we were talking about earlier, is that they know the biological. They know that that's a baby in there, and that we should protect babies, and we should protect the vulnerable and the weak. You have to be indoctrinated and propagandized to hold to an ideology that thinks you should be able to destroy the child in the womb. You know, Martin Luther King. You mentioned at the very beginning Malcolm X, and the difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King in general was that Martin Luther King saw that the victims of racism were both white and black, not just black and that whites who were committing the sin of racism needed to be rescued from the sin as well. And that's a very similar approach, I think I hear you taking to women who have abortion. They're not the enemy. They're a victim too. And the question is, how do we go about bringing about healing so that we not only save the life of the child, but also rescue the, the heart and soul of, of the women that are involved as well? And the abortionists, right? And the politicians that had Look, yeah. I often think that one of the greatest things when we end abortion will be all these politicians that will be liberated from the grip of this industry that has them. That's a great concluding point, because in the end, all of us are suffering, including those who are advocating abortion. Wow. Jason, before we end, I want to say thank you again for sharing not only your your life, but your work in ministry, 
but your vulnerability as well. And that it sounds like in the making of this particular film, so much of you has been invested in it. So thank you so very much for sharing it and for sharing yourself on our show today. Would you please lead us in a word of prayer? Yes, sir. Father, we again thank you for the grace to know you and to love you. We pray especially for all of our family members that you would pour out your grace onto them and that those who have left the church would return to the church, would return to the sacraments, and that you would open the hearts of our closest friends when we try to share our faith with them. We pray especially for those today who, because of the, the challenges in COVID and COVID policies that are in place, we pray that you, you would pour out your grace to those folks. And we pray for our nation, Lord. We pray that coming through this time of division, we will be never have been more united. And that coming through this election on the other side, Lord, we pray that, it, it, and we know it's only by your grace that we as a people can be united. And Lord, we ask that you unite us, not only for the well-being of our children, our posterity, but also for the world that needs to see us as that city on a hill. They need hope. They need a belief in freedom. And we pray that we'd see an end. We ask the intercession of Our Lady of Prompt Sucker for an end to abortion now. And we pray that our children and our grandchildren, our posterity, through our penance and through our prayer and through our work, will inherit a culture of life, a culture of love, and a culture of beauty. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe, we pray this in the name of our brother, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, Jason, thank you so very much for being on with us. And with all my heart, I hope that the Divided Hearts of America is um, viewed by everyone that possibly can. People who want to view that can go to movietomovement.com, and they can find the information there. And if you would like to share this broadcast with other people, it will become our podcast very shortly, and you can go to occatholic.com, orangecountycatholicradio.com, and go to the radio tab, and there you'll find our radio program, and you can find that podcast and send it to anyone you would like. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. Today we have had Jason Scott Jones, president and founder of Hero and Movie to Movement. We hope that you will see Divided Hearts of America. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.